You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner here with Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat, part of the CLNS Media Network. The news of the day is, of course, the news of the week, the news of the NBA week. That and the little thing called the finals. And the but, finals, yeah. which are 3-0 and, and and basically, for all intents and purposes, over. Brian Colangelo has, quote-unquote, resigned as president of basketball operations. Brett Brown will move in as the lead decision maker on an interim basis. The Sixers will begin a, a a GM search, which they went back and forth between calling Colangelo the GM and the president of basketball operations. It drives me insane. They will begin a search for the new lead basketball guy uh, right away. But uh, Harris is not sure. In fact, he doubts whether or not they will have that guy in place by July 1. What was your biggest takeaway from today, Rich? Man, there was so much. Uh, I guess I guess my main take was I guess, I guess let's let's back up for a second. I think we both felt after the story broke that Colangelo couldn't survive this. Yes. And that is lar- like the outside opinion of that that we shared with a lot of other people was that it was just an untenable situation that he could not effectively do his job regardless of whether he knew about the accounts or not. And that is pretty much exactly how they described it. Right. So if you're, if you'd asked me a week ago and recording this very late on Thursday night, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have said 95% Colangelo is going to be gone. Like it's just, it's just untenable. But when you were sitting here last night, Wednesday night, even into Thursday morning, did that change at all? Did those percentages change? Uh, I think we we talked about it a little bit today. It it dropped a little bit. I was still, I, I would have been surprised today if he didn't get fired. And I know there was the news yesterday. There was the leak that uh, that w- what we read today from uh, Paul Weiss, and I'm blanking on all the other names after that. But in their statement that they did not believe Colangelo knew about the accounts. But also I think there was a – you know, and this is some speculation here. That may have been leaked to give Brian a chance at latching on somewhere else uh, to, right. to make that clear. We read and, that as since he didn't send those accounts or those tweets, then that meant he was going to stay. And we always said from the beginning, it not that it doesn't matter, but he's it's probably going to cost him his job regardless of whether or not he ran the accounts, whether or not he knew of the accounts. I will say, though, as we got now, you know, a week, nine days removed from the, 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 the story coming out, my confidence wavered a little bit. It still would have been, you know, if you would ask me, greater than a 50% chance that he was gone. I'm not saying that. Like, it probably would have still been 70, maybe even 80%. But what was at one point a 95% chance? Yeah, it was, it was, it was dropping a little bit for sure. Well, and and one of the biggest revelations of the day was in that statement. In that, how I can't believe how much detail the Sixers gave us. 
Okay, well, let's back up for a second. Uh, I'm going to read portions of this statement, uh, both from the law firm and then from Brian Colangelo as well. So the core of the law firm, as a result of our investigation, we do not believe that Colangelo established Twitter accounts or posted content on those accounts. Basically, yada, 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 the evidence support. Barbara uh, Battini, his wife, uh, established and posted the content, uh, and they had forensic evidence to corroborate that. Uh, it did say that they cannot confirm whether or not Mr. Colangelo O'Brien was aware of the Twitter accounts prior to the investigation. Uh, Colangelo obviously denies that he knew about it, um, and they could not observe any forensic evidence establishing that he had knowledge of the accounts. With one big caveat in that... <laughs> It's a Barb, pretty big one. It's, it's a big one. Apparently did a factory reset on her phone, on her iPhone, prior to surrendering her phone. Which, again, Twitter, and Twitter is undefeated in this sleuthing. Twitter then found out that Eric Jr. was posting under an Android, Android. phone. Yeah. Which, okay, she could have changed phones. Uh, sure. I don't know. In my, and I, I've been around technology a lot. In my experience... It's rare, not that it doesn't happen, but it's pretty rare that people go from long-term iPhone use to Android. It, it just seems like that that move doesn't happen all that frequently. It, not saying it couldn't, but it, it was at least something to pique your interest. But the crux of it then, after saying that there's no evidence that, the, that Colangelo knew about the accounts, our investigation revealed substantial evidence that Mr. Colangelo was a source of sensitive, non-public club-related information contained in certain posts to the Twitter accounts. We believe that Mr. Colangelo was careless, in some instances reckless, in failing to properly safeguard sensitive, non-public, club-related information in communication with individuals outside the 76ers organization. Which is pretty much what we all speculated, that regardless of whether he knew or not, when that information that wasn't supposed to be public became public, it ends up he he ends up being accountable for that. It doesn't matter whether or not he knew of his of what his wife was doing. It matters that that information, which can't get out, did get out. Then one of the this this took me a little by surprise. Colangelo, this if, you, if this you hear was... if you hear that noise, that's a that's a, a truck or a bus backing up and running over and over <laughs> and over. Barb. He threw her under the bus so badly. It was insane. First, at no point did I ever purposefully or directly share any sensitive, non-public, club-related information with her. Which well, how'd she get it? Purposefully or directly, I think, what, did she, like, overhear a conference call that you were on or something? I don't, I don't know what exactly you're saying there. Her actions were a seriously misguided effort to publicly defend and support me. And while I recognize how inappropriate these actions were... She acted independently and without my knowledge or consent. Further, the content she shared was filled with inaccuracies and conjecture, which in no way, no way represent my own views or opinions. So, so basically, where did she get it from? Did she like? Did she talk to Mark Eversley? Like, where did she get all this information from if he didn't share it? It, it, it makes well, no that, sense. It makes well, no that sense. second pa paragraph boils down to: she was wrong, but she was also wrong. Right. Uh, yeah. That's uh, and then at the end there, while this was obviously a mistake, we are a family and work th we'll work through this together. Oof. Good luck with that one. I mean, God. Yeah. next next family holiday is going to be a doozy. Next family dinner is going to be a doozy.
Yeah. And not, then, uh, not only does he not have a career because of her alleged actions, but I mean, he. Here's what I don't get: if you're if you're Brian Colangelo today, what are you gaining by completely destroying your wife publicly? Like you're not getting your career back. He, he's not going to be a GM again. Is well, it going to make him easier think, to hire as a consultant? Maybe like yeah, I, that's, I just that's all I got. He's definitely not going to be a GM again. I no. agree with that. So and then and then he said, although I am not directly responsible for the actions, I regret this incident occurred and understand it has become a distraction for the team. Therefore, the organization and I have mutually agreed to part ways, which is different from what they said. They called it a resignation. Yep. Yeah. No. So. Yeah, those were the the statements, and that was uh, that was certainly more than I thought we were going to get. Uh, no, I I, I agree, I agree. I, I thought a, a, a resignation meant they were going to sweep as much of it under the rug as they could, which maybe they did. Who knows? Only only a select few know exactly what the investigation uncovered. But look, here, here's what I'll say. And if you want kind of fire and fury, there's there's probably a better podcast for you to go listen to um rich and i are in an obviously different spot than spike and mike uh and not only because of our jobs but like we did get to know some of these people too and not that you know i think one of the things i was expecting when colangelo came here he was advertised as this real relationship guy and i'm not sure i ever really saw like the charisma or the you know, kind of like warm, engaging personality that maybe was built up as, and and maybe he had that side of him that he didn't show to us as journalists, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. But I also like he was never, well, publicly mean to me. Um, some of the tweets, so we we got access to all the still balling tweets, and uh, the Colangelo family was not my biggest fan at all, calling me everything from humanly disgraceful, which at least I guess is I'm humanly disgraceful, to despicable, to full of malice and no human compassion, all kinds of stuff that they didn't like about me, mainly related to the time where I broke the Markel story and when I broke the Embiid meniscus tear story. But directly to me, Colangelo was never, like, he was always cordial to me. He always, we always got along in person fine. Um, so it, it, it's different. Like, I'm not going to have the same kind of malice that maybe someone who had never met these people. And there's certainly a lot of people in the front office that I look at now and you, you go, well, I don't, who, who knows what their career status is? Who knows what their long-term job prospects are when a new, new GM, a new president comes in and takes over? And, and there's a human side of it that it kind of sucks. Um, you know, I think Colangelo, if you really did have no knowledge of his wife, I'm not of his wife's activity and I'm not a hundred percent not even close to 100% buying that. Uh, but if he really didn't have any knowledge, and that, that does suck on a human level, he couldn't. The, the, if the law firm found out that he was the source of a lot of this information and there was really no other explanation to it, he simply he, he couldn't do his job. He really couldn't. Yeah. And then uh, the, I, the big winner in this scenario, and if you can call it that, uh, is Brett Brown. Yeah. The, the survivor. Brett, I just because he's he's been through all the shit and he's been he's seen literally everything. He's been I think he, he says all the time that what we've done is not for the faint of heart. And he's seen season long injuries to his players. He's seen the number one overall pick for getting how to shoot. He's seen the GM who brought him in essentially overthrown. He has now seen 
the wife of the GM who replaced him tweeting inside information and so much more. And because he has been the one guy that has been able to project an air of stability, he now finds himself in the position of GM and coach for the most important time this franchise has had in decades. It really is. And there was one point where, you know, I think if you would ask Brett Brown, he didn't know how certain his future with the team was. But now you look at Brett and the job security that he has. I mean, like you said, he's coming in. He's at the top of that basketball org chart now. And look, he said, you know, I'm not going to try to rock the boat. I'm here to provide leadership and direction and all that stuff. And to be on that recruiting trip for LeBron James. But for him to survive this, now go into his third GM and have more job security than he's probably ever had during his career, at least as a head coach, despite the fact that he lost in an unprecedented way the first three years, it really is a good outcome for a guy who who went through a lot and really put his professional reputation at stake for the rebuild the Sixers went through. So so that was the first take. And then... I asked early in the press conference, which you were not able to attend because it was oh. called 55 minutes after the Sixers released these statements. Insanity. Um, and, and look, again, this is one thing. A lot of guys on the PR staff I like. I think they're they're good guys. This is clearly done to keep people away, to limit the media exposure. I can't even – like if I would have gotten there exactly – like just drove as fast as I could. I would have gotten there maybe five minutes after the thing started. Hit a little bit of traffic. Walked in as the last conf- last question was being asked. Absolutely infuriating. Really, I, I don't want to dwell on this. They, Go, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Josh Harris was in and, and he was out. He got on his uh, his helicopter that uh, may or may not have parked on a soccer field afterwards, uh, <laughs> and and got the hell out of there. So, but but I did ask. What what did your players? Uh, what was the reaction of those guys? Because as you previously mentioned, the the still balling tweets, those absolutely ripped in Embiid. Yeah, and and I mean, and the Ringer had already reported this, but God, when when you finally combed through all of these and saw how much insecurity there was involved in these tweets about Embiid and his off-court habits and his mentality and using Embiid to prop up Simmons, it was it was crazy. And they, they didn't really give a great answer to that, but that was sort of my first, uh, my first take. I mean, I think Brett's final quote was, uh, it was an unfortunate situation that did confuse people. It confused our players. We feel strong that the communication with our players has been achieved. So that was the first thing. And I, you know, that, that was another reason that they had to go, that uh, Colangelo had to go too. The other question that, that was big on my mind today was what happens to Jerry Colangelo? Yeah. And they didn't have an answer for that. And Josh Harris, he, uh, he denied, he went out and denied a report from uh, Kyle at Philly Voice that Jerry was involved in trying to thwart uh, this investigation or try and threaten the Sixers that he would kind of muck up their business moving forward if Brian would uh, would be moving forward. I, I just went out and asked 
what's his what's his thing and basically Harris said that's not today's issue uh Jerry has I think he said his contract runs through the end of the year I don't know if that means basketball year or if that means 2018 but yeah that's what he said yeah and he, he basically deflected it for a longer time I I just can't imagine why you would want to keep Jerry on after this though what is he doing here? Like what? What, what the? Well, okay, now look. What, I, I, what? And what did he do too? Like you know, we talk about Brian Colangelo's legacy. Jerry Colangelo traded two second round picks for Ishmael. That's what he did. Well, and and he convinced ownership that the Sixers didn't have enough basketball people. Yes. All right. Look, I started this off with, you know, while I think most people agree that Brian has his insecurities. And when you look at the tweets from these accounts, man, did the family have some venom inside of them. You know, I cut short of portraying Brian as this, like, evil bad guy. I don't I don't know him well enough to say either way. And I do want to leave open that slight chance that he had, you know, no idea what his wife was doing. And if so, even if many of her tweets might reflect beliefs that Brian also had, it still does kind of suck for him. Uh, you know, there's, there's sort of this human element to that. Uh, you should be able to confide in your wife, and apparently he couldn't. But man, Jerry, whew, he's really doing a great job of pissing a lot of people off. You know, for him to come in, you know, one of these reports, I think it was from Woj, where he basically said to the Sixers, you owe me, or, or, or something like that. Owe you for fucking what? You came in, convinced an undecided ownership group that the team didn't have enough basketball people, made a horrible trade for a short-term point card, kickstart, kickstarted an interview process that interviewed two fucking people for a GM spot. Or as Josh Harris told me at the time, you know, not many but a few, which, by the way, this is this is getting incorrectly reported a bit. They never claimed they interviewed 75 candidates. They claim they started with a list of 75 candidates back in 2016, which is a which is a key difference. And then poof, your son shows up. You know, we don't hear from him for two years until his son's job's in jeopardy. And then he reportedly said that he's fucking owed something. Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. The dude's had two tasks as a special advisor. Get his son hired and keep him employed, which is a great great way to disprove nepotism. Unbelievable. Oh, he's unbelievable. He, unbelievable. He is, he is not popular at all uh, in Philadelphia. And honestly, I, this comes back to Adam Silver. I, did, did you read what Adam Silver said today? Yeah, well, I, I saw bits and pieces. I think it was. Well, there's nobody at fault to blame here. It's an unfortunate situation. You know what, Adam? There is somebody at fault. You, yeah. dude. Yep. And this is the kind of shit that happens when you don't fully vet your GM candidates because you have a two-person interview process because you're desirous to hire your special advisor's son. Ugh. I can reserve venom about Brian Colangelo individually, but that hiring process was such a fucking joke. By the way, do you remember in the press conference earlier today, one of the justifications that Josh Harris gave for, hold on, I want to find the, the exact quote. One of the justica- justifications he gave for not having this done by the time of free agency was that he finds the best decisions are done, you, you know, take time. That I forget the exact phrase. I don't have it with me. Um, but these kind of things when you're thorough take time. Well, why are you thorough this? Well, what's the difference now than the last time when you interviewed two people? Oh, is it possible that your advisor doesn't have any more sons left? Just absurd. Just absurd. And, and I think he can make the argument that he's been pretty thorough in every other case. Yeah. Like when, this, when Sam Hinkie was hiring, hired, yep, that took Brett a while. Was, when Brett was hiring, that took forever. 
even though it didn't really matter because what, what the hell is going on in the offseason anyway. Um, I think that stretch into August. Yep. Then hey, I, you can even take it to this investigation. I think a lot of people characterized it as them dragging their feet, but they they were saying that, that they were being thorough. And honestly, I actually kind of agree with that. I, I, I don't I don't mind how long it took. But yeah, the there's the one major decision you made that doesn't match up with that. Nope. Nope. So hopefully they um you know they, they do a little better job of actually being thorough and not talking about being thorough this time. Because this is a very important decision they have coming up. It is frustrating. I mean, to be honest, like we we look at it a lot of times. Okay, for the draft, it's probably not a huge deterrent because the entire staff they had in place, the ones doing the legwork, are still here. The person who's going to be kind of aggregating that information and making the final call might be different, but the people doing the 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 you know on the ground research are still here. You Not think, a huge debt. You think Brett's going to chime in with the Stauskas at the end? Uh. <laughs> we'll see. Um, luring LeBron James, not a huge impact. Like LeBron's going to go where he thinks he has the best chance to win, where he's going to get the money, obviously, and that, that's anywhere he goes, where his family's going to be comfortable, where his, you know, maybe outside of basketball life is the best. All those, Colangelo doesn't have a very big say in. And, and Brett Brown kind of even admitted that. During the press conference today, like he's going to go or teammates and players and style of play and all that. I think Brett Brown is even a better face uh, for those type of meetings. For sure. I, I would argue. Yep, for sure. Where it gets complicated, though, are trades. When you start talking about a Kawhi Leonard trade, when you start talking about maybe a sign-in trade, not that sign-in trades have the same kind of importance that they used to, but maybe – some kind of trade, let's say you sign someone and you want to bring in Paul George, something of that sort. When you start talking about giving up assets, when you start talking about negotiating with another, you know, another, another team, that's when I think the not having a full, you know, a, a long-term permanent GM, that's when it might come into play. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's certainly tricky. And Harris mentioned that the search will be uh, internal and external candidates. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what that means, but it seems like. Uh, Let me ask you though: if if you really thought an internal guy had a chance, don't I, you I don't, think they would have been promoted to interim and not Brett? Yeah, I don't think they have a chance, but uh, they did express some level of confidence in those guys. Will you know? I and I I do agree with that. Like at, at least the rest of the staff is here. I I, I don't know how to properly assess how involved they are in all of Colangelo's things. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know. I think with Ned Cohen and Eversley, they'll be all right through the draft. But yes, the trade—that is where it gets tricky. And obviously, the Sixers are going to be in the running with all of those assets for some of the biggest uh, trade targets. By the way, the one thing I, we forgot to mention, which absolutely floored me, was Harris admitting that he oh didn't know God, about the yes. story until the Ringer broke it, which meant. That for a week, he had no idea, even though the Sixers knew about it. So, going back to that Ringer report, what they claimed was, and I have no reason, I'm, I'm sure this is what happened. He said they, it was accurate. He, sa- he said he started it, said, I would say that our PR department knew about it the way 
the ringer described right. it. So the, the ringer contacted the PR department. PR department told Colangelo. Colangelo denied it. And remember, the ringer told them about two accounts, the Phila 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, which had no activity, and the Eric Jr. account. Now, what uh, what Harris said at the press conference was that maybe they didn't take that claim seriously. Well, if you would have just looked at the Eric Jr. account and looked at who he followed, don't even go into the contents of the tweet. Just look at who he followed. Somebody had to take that seriously. That was a huge – and look, you can say maybe somebody was trying to protect Colangelo. I'm not sure. I, I uh, Again, anything could be possible. I think probably it's just human error. Like they probably get a lot of – crazy wackadoo requests. They tried to. <laughs> you had to put some low-level staffer, somebody on there to go comb through that guy's follows, go th- comb through his tweets and his retweets. Because if, if you would have spent even the minimal amount of effort, you would have realized, hey, there might be something really serious there. And by the way, I, th- I believe the, the, the ringer at one point said that the claim was that Colangelo never told anyone about this. Well, then how the fuck did those three accounts get shut off within 20 minutes like again if the claim that they, they got shut off within 20 minutes was accurate he wouldn't have talked to his wife within 20 minutes unless he knew that there was something it, it's just there's so many unexplained yeah the, it, it's, the, it's those don't add up that, that harris didn't know about it it's uh it's crazy man and it's i, I guess to to put a bow on, on my thoughts for the day harris talked about how I think he said it's the one of the best opportunities in professional sports. It might be. I, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> he talked about all of the good stuff they have from the great young players to the cap space to the lottery pick. And Brett mentioned that too. Uh, I agree with that. I think Brett said we're going to c- go into the uh, the meetings proud and we're going to have a real story to tell. And I agree that it's a good story. But man, there are a few chapters of it that are not for the faint <laughs> yeah. of heart. It's it's just there's nothing easy with this franchise. There's no, there's, al- not. there's always a caveat, uh, even if it's just a perception problem. And here they are on the on the precipice of uh, of possibly luring LeBron James in, and they have the craziest story in the world happen. And you know, it, again, I. As much as we we criticize Silver and that whole hiring process, which we should, and we can look back at Colangelo's uh, tenure, which is not that good right now. I think we did a podcast a few, few months ago on that. Uh, there was no way for anybody to uh, to predict this crazy-ass story. No, no, there wasn't. There wasn't. And I'm going to re- be real interested if a, a, a Twitter sleuth Really does determine whether there's more to it. Like we will forever wonder whether there's more to it, whether that's Jerry being involved or Brian having any knowledge of it. Like it, this is going to be one because of the way it played out. We'll never know for sure. Still, but still balling. That there's being some, a 77 year old grandparent was interesting. Yes, going out of out of their way to describe themselves as an old old man. I think I forget if it's old man, but definitely an old person. Repeatedly, yeah, that, that account reads different to me than than the Eric Jr. account. But I guess the investigation is over. But this will be one we talk about for quite a while. All right, let's move on real quick because you have to get running to a radio interview of the candidates. Who do you think A is most likely and B that you would like to see? 
I think the we, we we talked about the three that uh, that interest me the most, and and one of them is the obvious one and the most likely one. That would be David Griffin. I don't think we have to do too much uh, connecting of the dots why he would be an attractive candidate. LeBron James reportedly was furious that Dan Gilbert uh, decided to basically become extremely frugal and not uh, not match the, the salary that, that David Griffin probably deserved as GM of the Cavs. That's one. Uh, another one that I, I've heard mentioned uh, from you, just as like speculation, I also think I listened to Zach Lowe's podcast a little bit today. That would be Mike Zarin of the Boston Celtics. He is in an interesting spot because he is like Mr. Celtic. He grew up uh, watching that team. He was a season ticket holder. He still sits up in the stands with his dad, I think, in like the in like the uh, top section. That's part of his contract. He's an assistant GM. Uh, but he he has been a huge part of the Celtics' success for a decade now. That uh, there there is speculation, and then what? Uh, how, how do you say uh, Mr. Rosas's first name in uh, in Houston? Gerson. Yeah. So and, and he's the third one, and he has been a candidate for GM jobs for a few years now. Uh, well, I mean, he he got one at one point with Dallas. Uh, I think there was a, a president of basketball operations there at the time, and also Mark Cuban, who likes to likes to have a word in there. And he ended up bolting after three months because he didn't quite have the power structure. I think he was expecting. Yeah, he's he just withdrew his name from the Detroit job, so he's been talked about really for the last two or three years getting back into a lead role. Uh, those are kind of the three at the top for me. I do think also uh, Justin Zanuck uh, with the Utah Jazz. I think I throw his name in there as well as a candidate. Uh, Brian Wright was another one I, I talked about with uh, San Antonio. You never get fired for hiring a San Antonio guy, it seems like. And he, he's a, a real good player personnel guy. I do think, you know, Zarin is the most interesting because he reportedly was offered the job before Hanky and turned it down. Now, as you said, he is Mr. Celtic up there. He has been a lifelong fan. It's pretty much a dream job. Celtics are about to enter in what should be a very long you know, prolonged stretch of, of, of really good basketball. And there's uh, speculation that, that once Ainge retires, that, that the job is his. But but when the, is Ainge going to retire? Why would you retire? They're right, be exactly. Awesome. GMs don't retire when they're on the top of the world. So that job is probably not going to be opening up anytime soon. This is maybe, like we said, the best GM opening that certainly in like modern NBA history, it might be the best GM opening so is he going to get another chance that's better than this? And is that enough, the difference in where this franchise is, to convince him to make the move he was unwilling to make four year, or five years ago? It's a real interesting question. I think I would expect those are the two most likely candidates. But I thought one of the things that was interesting that Zach Lowe said was yeah. that um, you know current GMs, guys currently running a franchise, might try to get out of their contract to come into this spot, which is opens up a whole new world of possibilities that when I wrote my most recent piece, I actually had to put a, you know, a, a, a little note in there that like, hey, I didn't, I didn't even consider this. But that opens up a whole new world of possibilities. It should be in between the draft and free agency and the GM search, we certainly have a lot to talk about. Yep, and, uh, and I got to run, but uh, let me just say that I am happy that I'm sure there's still this story is still going 
there's still going to be twists and turns in Burnergate, Cowergate, Woodergate, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, but it is nice that the investigation is over and the Sixers have made a decision on Colangelo because I couldn't take any more of this, man. Rich, we can wake up tomorrow and we can write about the draft. How wonderful is that? All right, go to your radio, radio interview. Thanks for jumping on. I'm in. See ya. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.